must say, FBC, amazing job this morning on your congregational singing. It's been such a blessing this morning. I'm so thankful for Brother Trey and for all of you. This is one of my favorite times of the week to sing with you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4. We will begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. We come to part 2 of the wilderness temptations or the wilderness test. After Jesus' baptism, he was led into the wilderness or the desert by the Holy Spirit for 40 days where he would fast and he would endure the temptations of the devil. And he would do so without failure. I have to be very honest with you that when I began preparing this and planning out our, my sermon calendar for the next few several weeks, a couple months, I, I underestimated how much treasure was in uh, these 13 verses. If you've ever been to a restaurant where you would go in and you would order something that looked good and you, you thought, that'll, that'll be enough, it'll fill me up and it'll be, be well, but when they come out, they bring you far more than you can imagine. I mentioned that this morning in one of the Sunday school classes and their teacher told me, and I eat every bit of it too. The same thing has happened to me with these 13 verses, and we are going to eat every bit of it, too. This this has been such a great... This past week, there has been so much joy in unearthing the treasures that God has for us. And so, so my plan was that we would cover all three temptations today in one sermon. Instead, we are going to cover each one of them. In three, each one of them in their, in their own sermons. So we'll do three sermons for these three temptations. And I believe and I hope that you'll be very blessed as you and I just devour the Word of God over the next few weeks because, because there is some amazing, deep truth found within these verses. So I want you to begin with me this morning and look again in chapter 4, verse 1, as we read. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. We're going to come to the first temptation this morning. As I said last week, as we enter into this temptation, that you need to understand that the big idea of this passage, the big idea of this temptation and the two to follow, is that Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, overcomes Satan's temptations, validating him as the perfect Son of God and demonstrating our own need to be full of the Spirit. Jesus is our hope in overcoming the temptation, our temptations. We, we cannot do this apart from Him. And I believe this will become more evident as we look at each one of these temptations individually. But as we zoom in on the one that we have just read, the first one here, I, I want to sum it up in this way this morning. 
I want, to, I want you to see that Satan is tempting Jesus to distrust in the provision of God the Father and to disobey the Father's plan for salvation. I'm going to say that again. In this first temptation, I want you to see that Satan is tempting Jesus to distrust, to doubt the provision of God and to disobey God's plan for our salvation. As we walk through these temptations, we're going to have the same outline every week. And I want you, so we'll begin this morning. I want you to see the devil's temptation. I want you then to, then we'll move into the potential sin and then the Messiah's response. So we'll begin with the devil's temptation. Then we'll see secondly, the potential sin. And then thirdly, and finally, the Messiah's response. And so as we begin here with the devil's temptation, as you and I come to this, and as, we, as we've read about Jesus, here, here he is, he's being tempted to, to eat, is really what it is. And so many of you are like, well, that's not really a bad temptation. I like to eat, especially when I haven't eaten, you know, for a really long period of time. And so we may look at this temptation and say, well, that's a rather insignificant temptation. Couldn't, couldn't Satan have done something a little more devious, a little more powerful, a little more bigger. Give, give Jesus a test. As you will see, dear friend, in just a moment, how significant and how powerful this temptation was. Matter of fact, I want you to notice that Jesus has not eaten in 40 days. Many of you would not do well in four hours. It's almost six weeks. He has been fasting this entire time. Imagine the hunger pains that have set in. That at this point, his body has entered into what I will call survival mode. Now again, mine enters in about four and a half hours. Now he is 40 days, and so his body is in survival mode. He is physically weak. Physically weak. He is emotionally distraught. And if he does not eat soon, he will die. And thus... He would never be able to die on the cross for your sins. And so here Satan comes and he begins to see the urge and the desire within Christ. You must understand that the desire and the urge that he has to eat is extremely strong. And this is why this temptation is so powerful. This is why this temptation is so significant. Because we know that strong urges within us will lead us to do sinful and unwise things. We, we've been studying this in Sunday school. Did we not study Genesis chapter 25? Who Esau was so hungry that... When he came in and he was famished, he begged for food from his brother Jacob. And Jacob, wanting the birthright of his brother, saw an opportunity. I will give you the food that you may live, that you may satisfy your hunger, if you will give me your birthright. And do you remember what Esau said? He said, look, brother. He says, look, I am about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Or take Numbers 11, verses 4 and 6, where we find Israel has become so hungry and so dissatisfied with the manna of God that they begin to dream of going back to Egypt where they can become a slave that they may eat. 
willing to sell themselves into slavery again. And what about King David who sees Bathsheba bathing and so consumed with desire for her that he sends men to go and bring her to his bedchamber? Dear friends, we know that many sins have been committed because there were urges, there were desires, there were these feelings, overwhelming emotions within us and feelings that led us to do sinful and unwise things. And so here we are, Christ has a hunger. He has a massive urge that is tempting him to eat, to turn a stone into bread, which is nothing for him because he turns water into wine. He multiplies the loaves, the fish. This is nothing for him. And so his hunger is screaming within him saying, just do it. Just do it. Just turn the stone to bread and eat. And I believe that one of the reasons that Satan used his hunger to tempt him was because Jesus, unlike you and unlike me, he did not have a sinful nature. I struggle with this this week, that if Jesus did not have the sinful nature, how could Jesus not overcome? How could he ever overcome the the flesh? But even though he does not have a sinful nature, he does have fleshly desires, fleshly urges that every man, every woman has that are not, they're not sinful in and of themselves. And so here Satan grabs a hold of one of the strongest ones that we have, one that, is, that leads to physical pain, the desire to eat when one is hungry. And so he begins to manipulate that desire to the point that, it, that Jesus is almost, it's almost unbearable. He needs to eat. So let me ask you, dear friend, what desires and urges are in your life that have been so strong, that have been so powerful, that have led you to do unwise and sinful things? They're there. We know it. We all have them. Is it the sin of gluttony? Is it the sin of hunger? Is it, is it gluttony that we just love food so much that we can't stay away from food? I think many of us, if not all of us, would probably can say that we have dealt with the, the sin of gluttony. Uncontrollable desire, overwhelming desire that, that the idea of fasting for even a day or even a week or, or even 40 days seems just impossible. What about sexual desire? You become so full of the desire to lust and view pornography or, or even worse, that you, you seek an affair. You become unfaithful to your spouse. We live in a world today where you cannot walk out into the streets. You cannot, you cannot walk into a grocery store. You can't turn on the computer. You can't turn on the TV without something tempting you in the, with a, a sexual desire, manipulating you fueling that urge and that desire do you do you struggle with that has that led to unwise and sinful decisions in your life some of you it may be more like worry you can't help but just stress and to and to, and to allow this to move you into a moment where you cannot sleep you have no peace of mind you have no joy and you worry and then you begin to act in ways taking certain medications that you probably shouldn't take drinking, any of these types of things that, that just to try to relieve the stress of the daily life. Or maybe yours is coveting, overwhelmed with the desire to have material things in this world, whether it be money or things, but you, it leads you to 
be a, a horrible steward of God's money, and so therefore you, you act in ways and you buy things that you shouldn't. And I'll add this. It's not just individuals either, it's the church. Because as a local church, we can be consumed with the desire to please men, and so therefore, to avoid conflict or to gain approval of the world, we give in to the desire and to the urge to make everyone happy, to make the world happy, that we become unbiblical in our preaching and pragmatic in our methods. And here's the thing. We do all of these things with the idea that we are somehow, that it's somehow justified by God. You see, beloved, you need to see that these things are, are exactly what they are, that they are temptations. They're not sins yet, but, but if you are not careful to give them the attention they need, and if you ignore them and just allow them to continue without any kind of fight, or if you begin to give in to them, then they lead to sin. And so therefore, you need to recognize that these urges and these desires within you do not need to go left unchecked, but you need to begin to prayerfully consider how you are to fight them. Mark 14, 38 says that you are to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Or Hebrews 2, 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, Christ who has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we have a savior, we have, a, we have an advocate who helps us with our temptation. But many of us, sad to say, we like the temptations, we like the sexual urges, we like the urge to eat. We like the urge to have things. Dear friends, these urges are far worse enemies at times than even Satan himself. These urges are there whether Satan comes to mess with you or not. They are there and you are already battling them and you need to take them seriously and not see them as insignificant little things because these things will lead you to call into great sin. You must pray and seek help from the Holy Spirit to control and overcome your urges. And you must do this daily, even when you don't even have the urge. But watch and pray and know that it is there, that it is ready to pounce at any moment. You must seek help within the local church that you may look to other members and, and brothers and sisters of the faith to bring, bring their prayers, offer their prayers to God and to hold you accountable to help you fight these temptations. Because, dear friend, they are not insignificant as we have seen. Well, I would pray this morning that you would watch and pray and be ready to fight. But secondly, I want you to now notice the sin. I want you to notice the sin, the potential sin, not the sin, the potential sin. Christ does not sin. What is this potential sin that Satan is tempting him to commit? What, what is the outcome? What does he want him to do? Well, as I stated from the beginning, that he is tempting Jesus to doubt and to distrust the provision of God and to abandon God's plan for salvation. Notice what Satan says to Jesus. He says, if you are the Son of God. Now, this kind of threw me off because it really seemed like he was leading him to doubt whether he is the son of God. We just had the baptism. The father has just spoken. You are my beloved son. But as you go to the Greek, to the original language here, what you find is, is that it's not an issue of doubt. It's actually an issue of persuasion. It actually, in the original Greek, can be translated, since you are the son of God. And so Satan knows who he is. Jesus knows who he is. Let's not play around with this. And so he comes to Jesus, who is hungry, and he says, since you are God... Eat 
He tries to persuade him to eat. He tries to persuade him to use the supernatural power to feed himself. Because if he doesn't eat, he's going to die. And you know if you die, Jesus, you can't, you can't free them from sin and death. You know, Jesus, if you die before your time, you're not going to fulfill Genesis 3.15. You know, that crushing of my head. I'm trying to help you out, Jesus. Just eat. You see, we both know that, you can see Satan saying, you know, we both know that you possess the power to meet your own needs. I mean, you are God in the flesh. Just do it. There's nothing wrong with the Son of God eating a little bread. You see how subtle that is? It's actually so subtle that many of us, when we read this, we actually kind of want to agree with him. Why is he not eating? Why is it wrong that Jesus would use his power as God to feed his stomach to survive? The answer is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, because you remember that Jesus, that this is very much similar to the wilderness. When Israel was in the wilderness, in chapter 8, verse 2, when we read of Israel in the wilderness, Moses is rereading the law and the history. And he says to Israel, he says, And you shall remember all the ways the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Notice this, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, God brought Israel into the wilderness that he may test them. What was he doing to humble them, he says? Well, that means that they were to rely on him. They were to rely on God that he would provide their water, that he would provide their food. They were to rely on God that he would deliver and defeat their enemies and bring them into the promised land. That when they enter the promised land, no one would ever boast and said, I overcame the wilderness by my own hands. They would know that for 40 years it was God who provided our food day after day after day to test them. You see, the wilderness provided difficult situations that would determine if they would be faithful to God and keep His commandments. That in those moments where there was no water, would they grumble and gripe? You know what I'm talking about. Rather than pray and seek. That in the moments when they are dissatisfied with the manna, they would still give praise and honor that God gave them manna instead of coveting the meat of Egypt. You know what I'm talking about. Happens to us all the time. Now I want you to notice Luke 4 verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left Jordan and he was led Does that not sound familiar? Did we not just read that? Israel was led into the wilderness by God. And now we read that Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days. So as God led Israel into the wilderness, so he also leads his son, Jesus, into the wilderness to be tested. And so here is the battle right here. Here is the potential sin. Would Jesus rely on God the Father and the Holy Spirit to provide for his food To sustain his life and be faithful to do the will of God? Or would he doubt the Father and take matters into his own hands and feed himself? Well, because he is God, 
He has the power, but remember, he is also man. He is the, it's the incarnation of Christ. He is fully God and fully man. And as man, he has willingly emptied himself. He has willingly submitted himself to the Father. And he's not going to, to, to perform miracles and, and provide for himself based upon his own deity. He's going to set that aside for a moment. And he's going to live like you. He's going to live like me. And he's going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus stepped into the wilderness, he understood that he had to rely on God to sustain his life. He knew there was a day that he would die. And it was the day that God decided, not him. And so when he stepped into the wilderness, he understood that he had to rely on him. That any miracle that would come from his own hands, from his own words would come by the leading and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if he would have turned the stone to bread, if Jesus would have eaten, he would have doubted, he would have distrusted the provision of God. Dear friends, he would have committed the sin of unbelief. Not believing and trusting in the Father. Unbelief in the goodness of God. Beloved, is this a daily struggle for you? Belief? Amen, somebody. I mean, you know there's a God, right? I heard this yesterday. I believe in Jesus. I just don't go to church. I just don't do these things. I believe Him, though. I think organized religion is the worst thing you ever do. I believe in God, but I just don't act the way. I don't do according to the will of God. Beloved, is this a daily struggle for you? Do you trust that God is going to provide for your needs? Or do you trust in your own self? Do you act and do things outside the will of God? Because if I don't do it, if I don't do this, God may not. So I'm going to help God out because God helps those who help themselves. That is found nowhere in Scripture. Different, that's a sin. Distrust in your financial provision. And so therefore, because you distrust in your financial provision presently and even for the future, you, it, it leads you to act in ways that are unbiblical, such as you work 60 hours, 70 hours a week, and you never come to church. Because you know God has called you to come into worship. God told you not to forsake the assembly, the gathering of the saints. Because you work 60 and 70 and 80 hours a week, because you you just you gotta have that provision, you're you're not the husband you need to be. You're not fulfilling the responsibilities that God has placed upon you. The same for the wives. That's unbelief, dear friend. Because you're not trusting that God can take care of you with 40 hours a week. You're not trusting that God can provide for you today and tomorrow. And that you can have joy if you don't have all the toys and all the and all the bank, all your bank accounts full. You distrust God's provision for your health. 
You're so worried about being healthy that you lock yourself away in your homes. And we forget that everyone in the wilderness died except for Caleb and Joshua. And they all received manna. But God sustained them and their health. And so we lock ourselves away and we, and we, and we no longer worship with the saints and we, we no longer serve God because, we're, because we have distrust and we doubt the Lord and we live in fear. As a church, we do the same thing. As a church, we doubt the ability of God to grow the church and so therefore I must be pragmatic. I must be cool and hip. I must, I must do the things that will attract people rather than to rely on the Holy Spirit to save men, to, to save women, and to sanctify those people and for them to come to church and be happy with the wor- just the worship and the preaching of God. All of that and more is unbelief. It is unbelief. And it's so subtle you didn't even know it. It's exactly what Satan was tempting Jesus with. But there is a second potential sin. If Jesus would have turned the stone into bread and he would have eaten it, he would have abandoned the will of God. He would have abandoned his own humanity, thus nullifying himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. It's just bread, Brian. It's just bread. Dear friends, it was the will of God that he not eat the bread. Let, us exp- let me explain this with you. Satan, this is how subtle this was. Satan was taking the deity of Christ. You are God. And he was pitting it against the humanity of Christ that he is one of us. He was trying to cause division in the incarnation. Turn the deity of God against the humanity of God. So that Jesus would disobey the Father to turn the Son against the Father. We don't have time to read this this morning, but you must know that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where we are told that Jesus emptied himself and became like us, there's an interesting word there, phrase, that he does it in the obedience. Obedience, Jesus was emptying himself. Jesus became a man out of obedience to the Father. And so in this moment, in this moment of humanity, Jesus had a choice to either obey or disobey the Father. Obedience meant that he had to be willing to rely on God to provide for his needs, even though he was about to die. Even though he was hungry and starving, he had to wait and patiently wait on the divine power of God to support him and sustain him. Beloved, if Jesus would have turned the stone to bread, he would have ceased being like one of us for a moment, thus disobeying the will of God, resulting in our damnation. Because I don't remember when you were able to turn bread, I mean stones into bread. He had to be obedient, he had to be fully human all the time, every second. The result of our salvation is that Christ has succeeded where you and I cannot. Complete and utter obedience to God the Father, even in the smallest, subtle things. 
if Jesus would have disobeyed the will of God, even for a piece of bread, he would have lost the power to save even one sinner. Dear friends, this is the gospel. That Jesus overcame the temptation of Satan, not nullifying his right to be the perfect sacrifice. This is the gospel that Jesus chose even in the moments of pure temptation and pure urge and desire and hunger and self-preservation of his own life. He willingly chose to suffer and to obey God in the greatest commandments and even in the smallest commandments because all of them are God's commandments. That he may lay his life down on the hill of Calvary to save a wretch like me. Oh, beloved, this is the gospel that those who are disobedient to God, whether it be the big commandments or the little commandments, that Jesus, who was, who was obedient in all of the commandments, that his righteousness becomes ours because he in his perfection goes and dies on the cross and rises from the grave. And so if you are a disobedient sinner this morning, if you have, if you have disobeyed and transgressed the, the law of God, even in the smallest you have broken them all, and you deserve hell. And you deserve judgment. You deserve the same fate of Satan. Oh, beloved, but Christ, he was obedient. And Christ was victorious in the wilderness. And he was victorious on the cross. And he was victorious in the grave. And there is hope for you, the sinner, this morning. That if you are lost and you are in need of salvation. If you are in need that your sins would be forgiven this morning. There is hope for you. His name is Christ. He suffered. And he overcame. And you must repent and believe upon Christ. You must not seek the physical bread. Don't go try turning stones of the world into bread that you may have life. Come to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Where he offers himself to you freely. Repent of your sins. And turn from them. And live this day forward for Jesus Christ. In all commandments, whether big or small. Because they're all the commandments of God. They're all the will of God. Oh, beloved, you can be washed of your sins today. Because Jesus gave his life for us. But I want you to notice thirdly the response. The Messiah's response. Notice what he says. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, two things there. I love this. This is, this is what really got me this past week. Jesus doesn't go, the Son of God shall. No, no. He says, Satan, don't mess with me. I know what you're doing. I came to identify with the men. I came to identify with humanity. I am one of them. And because I am one of them, I must know the truth. That man does not live by bread alone. Now Luke, secondly, he stops short of this verse. Maybe because he's writing to Gentiles. But for whatever reason, here's the full verse. We find it in Matthew. We also find it in Deuteronomy. Same chapter, Deuteronomy 8. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now Jesus quoted the very word of God that he gave to Israel in the wilderness. When he was testing them. What does this mean? What is the lesson to this response? Well, 
First, it is that Jesus was not deceived by Satan. He understood. He knew the truth of God's will. He knew what God wanted him to do. Even though Satan made it seem that God wanted him to eat, he knew the truth. He was not deceived. And then secondly, that our lives are not sustained by bread, physical nourishment alone. Jesus, fully man, trusted in the word of God that he may, that he may obey no matter the situation. Beloved, to rely on God and sustain, to, to rely on God's provision and to sustain his life. FPC, Satan tried deceiving Jesus into thinking that God was not providing for him, that God was not being good to him. Do you remember someone else who received a subtle temptation like that? Her name was Eve. It's the same thing that he did to Eve and to Adam. But I love this. You see, where Eve listened to the words of Satan, Jesus quotes the words of God. He fought back against Satan. He fought back against the lies, and he remembered, he embraced the truth of the Scripture. God sustains man, not bread, not man, God. And so just as he provided and sustained Israel, he will provide and sustain all of us. And so therefore, we must trust in God, and specifically, we must trust in God's Word. Because our God is good, our God is faithful, our God is, is powerful. And to doubt the Word of God is to doubt all of those things. Beloved, you can say all these things and more, but if you don't know the Word of God and you don't study the Word of God and you haven't embraced the Word of God, then you really don't know what you're talking about. Because it is from the Scriptures themselves that teach us and are our life, they are our nourishment, that we see and understand the attributes of God. Because He is good, because He is faithful, because He is powerful, we don't have to doubt and distrust, no matter how dire the situation is. Instead, matter of fact, the Bible teaches that the more dire the situation, the, the more difficult the situation, the more you should trust and obey. But there are those of you who act and make choices based on doubt, based on worldly philosophies such as the one Satan gave him. You're the son of God, eat. Rather than on the word of God. And you think you're righteous. You think you're justified. But that is because you do not know the word of God. And you have been deceived by the temptation itself. And so therefore, you justify your actions, but the truth is, is that you have allowed your desires to overwhelm you and lead you. You are overwhelmed, as we said, through sexual temptation, sexual desires, gluttony, worry, stress, anger, fear, coveting. And you were overwhelmed by something this morning. You will be overwhelmed this week. There is something, there is an urge, there is a desire in every one of us. None of us are exempt. You are going to battle something this week. And some of you are going, I've been battling it before I got here. 
And I'll probably battle it when I leave here. And then there are other users, and I'm battling it right now. None of us are exempt. You will battle these things. And if you do not know the Word of God, if you have not been in the Word of God, and if you're not full of the Spirit, dear friends, then what happens is you are going to begin to question God, and you are going to begin to ask, can He keep me though my health is failing? Can God sustain me when I'm sick? I don't feel like getting up like I used to. Can He carry me through inflation and financial struggles? My family is falling apart. Can God fix my family? Can He grow our church? And what happens is, dear friends, if we do not know the Word of God, we then begin to doubt and distrust the result, resulting in you putting your hope in something else. It may be yourself. Some of you have trusted in yourselves and you've been doing it far too long. You have relied on yourself and you have not relied on God to be your provision and to lead you. And so therefore you look over your life and you may have more things and you may have accomplished more stuff, have more stuff and accomplished more things, but... But spiritually, you, you see yourself waning. You see yourself shallow. You've been eating of the wrong bread. Some of you have placed more trust in, in doctors and in this world. Some of you have placed more trust in money. You have placed more trust in people and politicians. But let me reveal something to you. At the end of the day, what you will find on the day of judgment... All of those things were a facade where you really placed your trust in was the devil. Because there are only two. There is the word of God and then there are the words of the devil. And he comes as an angel of light and he disguises himself in all of these things and you believe that you are justified because of this, this, and it. Fill, fill in the blanks. But at the end of the day, you have trusted in the words of Satan rather than the words of God. Beloved, Satan is always attempting to create the false perception that you need something or you need someone. That God's provision is not enough for you. That God doesn't love you. That He isn't good enough for you. That, 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 that His goodness is failing. And so therefore... You need something other. You need bread from somewhere else. But that's not... Notice what Jesus does. He says, man shall live by the word of God. So it is the word of God, dear friends, that you need to obey. That you need to trust. And what we find in the word of God is we find the gospel of Jesus Christ. I call on you today that if you are struggling with these things, if you are struggling with temptations, if you are struggling with doubting the provision of God, the goodness of God, that you recall in your mind, you recall in your heart the gospel of Jesus Christ who came and died for your sins and gave himself for you. A perfect and holy sacrifice that you may live and have life. If you ever doubt the Word of God, if you ever doubt God, why would we turn anywhere else but to the gospel of Jesus that reminds me of His goodness? 
that reminds me that when I had the greatest need of all, the need of salvation, which is greater than my sexual needs and which is greater than my my physical hunger, which is greater than my worry and my stress and my financial needs. If there is one need that rises above them all, it was my need of salvation. And when I go to the gospel, I am reminded that God provided me the bread of life. He didn't just send me a loaf of bread. The brother sent me a subscription for a lifetime of bread in Christ. I am saved. I am nourished by the gospel of Jesus. God is good. God is good. I need nothing else. I don't need this world. I need nothing else but to know the gospel of Jesus. And it is enough. It is enough. It is manna every morning at my doorstep. Why would I ever doubt the Father and His love for me? I would say, secondly, you need to come under the full control of the Holy Spirit. You must remember that Jesus did not experience this victory in his, in his deity. He, he, did, he did not experience this victory over intense temptation because he's the Son of God. He was victorious because as a human, as a man, he surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Spirit, he overcame this temptation. Seek the power of the Spirit in your life. Don't seek it that you may go speak another language, that you may, that you may be able to, to have a certain emotional experience. Seek the power of the Spirit of God that you may overcome sin. That's where you need the Spirit. And you start with your prayer life. Because I am sure that many of you, and like myself, that our prayers are full of physical needs. We request God for physical things such as healing and sit over sicknesses and problems to be fixed and, and, and supplying physical stuff for us that are broken and all that. Start praying for the spiritual things in your life and begin praying that the Spirit would have control over your life. Fill you full, overflowing. That You may control these urges and never doubt the Lord. And then thirdly, I call on you this morning. That like Christ, you would read and know and speak the word of God. That you will not be fooled into believing the lies of this world, the lies of your flesh, and the lies of Satan. That you would know the truth of what God has for you. Because some of us are doing things that we should not be doing and we think they're right. We think it's okay to eat the bread. But Jesus proved otherwise. No. God says, man shall not live by bread alone. Know the word of God that you may draw strength in your battle to overcome temptation and trust in the goodness and the provision of our Lord and Savior today. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning.